We, last week, started a new series of messages for uh, BLC uh, on the theme of belonging. And thank you to everybody who shared in Discord last Sunday. We had uh, really, really wonderful sharing of personal experiences, both like the difficult challenges of trying to feel like you belong and then like, you know, something getting shoved in your face or, or a door getting uh, closed in front of you. But then we also had a lot of people share very insightful ways that they have overcome those challenges, and that was really cool, too. Uh, Haley and I are lining up several of the things that were shared in Discord last week, um, and then if there's any more this week, too, uh, please feel free to share your personal experiences about trying to belong or uh, what's worked well for belonging. We, our idea is that this series really lends itself to crowdsourcing because we have a lot of people in our community who've, like, learned a lot in therapy, for example, or um, you listen to podcasts or you listen to, or you read uh, voraciously and you're like, hey, these are these awesome things that I've learned about trying to belong or, you know, ways I've gotten hurt in the past in settings that I was supposed to belong, but they pulled the rug out from under me. Anyway, we want to hear all of those things. We, we're, we're, our hope, Haley and me as pastors, is to like, paint, you know, maybe like provide a really nice canvas that has some like principles and guidelines and then you all get to fill in the colors and the texture to make sure that we're, we're actually doing that thing where people belong here. Um, so anyway, we'll be lining that up next Sunday. Um, it's going to be a feedback Sunday, so we're going to try to use a lot of what's been shared in our, our chat to, uh, to dictate next week. But for today, I want to start put uh, all of the personal experiences and stories from last week into some greater context. I think there are some larger, um, like, observable things, very describable realities about modern life in American cities and increasingly in any urban area in the world um, that I think explain a lot of the challenges that we have, uh, we have expressed uh, to feeling belonging. Um, so here's some findings from... Uh, a 2021 survey, or multiple 2021 surveys, one from the CDC and one from Harvard's Loneliness in America report. 51% of mothers with young children report feeling lonely. A third of middle-aged people report feeling lonely. One quarter of older adults are experiencing social isolation, which is a specific definition for the CDC. So it's, it, it's not just like, I'm... I feel socially isolated. It's like, oh wow, this is dangerous. 63% of young adults experience symptoms of anxiety or depression. Do we have this up there on the, on the screen for you? There we go, sorry, I didn't put that up there for you. Take a look at those, huh? Wow, pretty striking. Here's a quote from the Harvard report, Loneliness in America. About half of lonely young adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they are doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Wow. So these findings are from the height of the pandemic, but obviously they still color our experience today, right? We're living in the legacy of these sort of, these sort of statistics. None of us are alone when we find it difficult to feel belonging. That's pretty clear. Back in the fall, uh, our series here at BLC, we looked at uh, the experience of guilt in modern life, if you were with us. And I brought to us uh, work from a sociologist, a German sociologist named Hartmut Rosa at that time, who suggests that 
The condition of the modern world is time sickness. Anybody remember us talking about time sickness back in the fall? To be alive in the modern world is to have this constant nagging feeling, this worry, guilt, dread, exhaustion that there isn't enough time. We're all time sick. I'm convinced that this, that that observable reality that sociologists are starting to name and talk about because it's such a pervasive experience, I'm convinced that that's behind a lot of why it feels hard to belong for so many people, why we all feel so lonely and isolated so often, even beyond the impact of the pandemic, although certainly exasperated by that. So this guy Rosa, he says that 21st century life is in constant acceleration. It's not just getting faster. The getting faster is getting faster. <laughs> it's, it, it's terrifying. He talks about technology is accelerating, right? We all know this, right? Transportation and communication and production, all of it keeps speeding up, right? Social life is accelerating. Social norms and ways of being decay faster than ever. There's this term in sociology called social decay, which is where fashion or music or even news, they rise to prominence and then they decay. They exit the other end of prominence and that happens faster than ever. Things become important and then they're no longer important and it just happens so quick. That's social decay and it's accelerating. The pace of life is accelerating, right? We all feel like constant, like there's so many things grabbing us that we have to do and responsibilities. And the paradox is that technological acceleration should lead to the opposite of this, right? Like, because we can accomplish more faster. But it doesn't lead to, the, uh, it doesn't lead to that. Email is the classic example that sociologists point to. We can send communication so fast now, right? Oh my God, email, it's instant. I don't have to like put a freaking stamp on something and put it in those, those mailboxes. I was talking with somebody recently who explained that they have a fear of mailboxes. Do you ever, you're like, because you put something in, then you close it, and you're like, I can never see it again. We don't have to do that anymore, right? Isn't that wild? So we should spend less time on communication, right? No, email just takes up more space, right? The pace of life is accelerating. This is... This is the, the observable things about our world. The modern world of constant acceleration insists that a good life meets the demands of the accelerating culture. Rosa calls these the triple A demands because he's a good writer and he has three words that all start with A and they're the triple A demands. Let me tell you what they are. So first there's availability. There's, there's so many shows that we can stream. It's, the availability is endless, right? There's so much. Why am I paying for that streaming service and not using it to its fullest? How could I waste that availability? How ungrateful I am, right? Do you ever feel this way? This is, this is a, this, see, having choices is a good value, right? Like, that's something that I would, I would call a value. Having choices is great. That's actually really important. It's tied to very deep values in me. But at some point, availability as a value becomes availability as a demand, and it recoils on us and becomes something that makes us feel bad about ourselves. 
That's something that, that, that makes up what we think a good life is in our culture. Accessibility is his second A. Being accessible to all, in the physical of sense, as the, world is, as the word is often used, but also more broadly, being inclusive is a hugely important value to me, a hugely important value to our church. Definitely, uh, in, uh, I would say many people uh, find accessibility, inclusivity, an important value. But when that good value morphs into the pressure of, I got to keep up with all of the social decay, right? I gotta stay current, I gotta, oh my gosh, like if I'm not current, I'm in big trouble. That's when that value becomes a demand and it's recoiling on us and it's hurting us and it's causing pressure. It's an unforgiving thing rather than something beautiful and inspiring that drives you. And finally, attainability. It's a wonderful thing to strive for excellence, to like, you know, hold a kind of like, if, if we can believe it, we can achieve it, you know? That, that, that there are good things in that, but when that attainability as a value becomes attainability as a demand, we feel constantly on high alert, comparing ourselves to others. What, what do they have? Why don't I have that? I need to have that. And now that value is not a value, it's a cruel taskmaster. These, when, when availability, accessibility, attainability become the demands that dictate what a good life is, the result is, to sociologists, the experience of alienation. Alienation. A feeling of distance, loneliness, disconnection, detachment, of feeling perpetually behind, like there's never enough time. Alienation is the opposite of belonging. It's being cut off. Cut off from the things that make us feel human. Connection to other people. Connection to ourselves. Connection to, to God, to higher values. When all we can do is meet those, that's, that's all we have in front of us, is meet the demands, meet the demands, meet the demands. We are alienated from those things that help us to feel human, and we are just swept up. There's all of the, all of the, the images you've heard before, being a part of the rat race, being the hamster on the wheel. Why are they all rodents? I'm not sure. But they make sense, right? Life is just accumulation, comparison, serving the all-powerful market, working for a retirement that may or may not ever come, depending on your privilege. In short, constant acceleration, this, this reality of modern life, is dehumanizing. It is dehumanizing, and that's something behind our difficulty of feeling belonging. Over time, by no fault of our own, just by being alive in this culture, a danger is that we feel less and less human. It's, it's like just one of the trade-offs of the abundant wonderful things about living in the modern world, right? Like air travel, computers in our frickin' pockets, right? That's amazing, right? We can, we can, they're, they're, they're actually like really noble things. I can positively impact somebody halfway across the world today because of the modern world. That's amazing. And also with those things, there's this gradual threat of alienation, of being alienated from other people, from myself, from God, from the things that drive me, the true high values that, cap that like capture me and inspire me, that there's this danger of just feeling less and less like human beings and more and more just like transaction, like line items on a transaction seat. That's what we, like, like, like consumers in a global shopping mall. That's the danger of this.
And what's extra difficult, of course, is that there is growing awareness. Like, I'm sure I'm not the first time, this is not the first time you all have ever heard critiques like this before, right? You guys have heard this before. There's a growing awareness of this, and yet there's also a growing feeling that even with insight about this, like, there is no way to opt out because the machinery is too big, right? And this, this is driven by, like, trillions of dollars and the most powerful people in the world. Like, is this too big? Is this too all-encompassing? Can we even opt out of this, or are we just destined to feel less and less human? To me, this tugs at core questions about why Brownline Church exists, why a church should exist at all. It's these kind of questions. One answer to why do we exist as a church is to give people something to belong to that can help them feel human again. I wonder if that inspires you. To give people something to belong to that helps them feel human again. Recently, we talked about religious salvation, not as saving unbelievers with belief, but as saving dehumanized people with humanity. I love that. Religious salvation is saving dehumanized people with humanity. This is what's called a liberation theology. We're all dehumanized in our culture of constant acceleration. So we all need saving, especially though those systemically dehumanized, the marginalized in society. And one of the finest examples is, as Haley read from this morning, Dr. King and his vision of the beloved community, which insisted on the humanizing of black people in America. And which, as we talked about in December, just a month ago here at church, the beloved community, Dr. King's vision, offered a damning critique of top-down capitalism, of this sort of all-powerful force behind acceleration in our world. That's the kind of gospel that our church exists to spread true belonging that helps people feel more human. There are sadly lots of religious messages and programs out there that are just as alienating and dehumanizing as the global market in Christianity and in other religious traditions. There are lots of them, and they don't necessarily make you feel more human. They just kind of like give you a different hamster wheel to run in but faith communities at their best are uniquely positioned to offer true belonging, I think, to offer this thing that can help us feel human again. Our church, for example, or what we try to be, we try to be what we say every week, Jesus-centered. If you have spoken over you regularly things like, the most true thing about you is that you are loved by God. That's the most true thing about you. If you have that spoken over you regularly, if you have spoken over you regularly, that that's not only true about you, but it's also true about your neighbor and your enemy. If you have that spoken over you regularly. If further, you have the opportunity not only to receive this love, but to participate in it, to show it to others. If you have those kind of messages spoken over you regularly, that's a powerful protective layer for your, for your humanity right? That's something that makes you feel like a living, breathing person who's actually in relationship with other people. You're not just a rat on a treadmill. You're not just a consumer in a global shopping mall. 
You're not just another line item on a transaction sheet. You are a human being. But beyond Jesus-inspired messages, in my experience, and this is what I really want to talk about today, so I'll just preamble up to this point. This is what I really want to talk about. There's another more concrete, Jesus-centered thing that I think church at its best offers that helps us in this alienating culture to help us feel more human. And I think it is probably, from my experience, the most consistently powerful thing that has offered me true belonging. And what it is, it's not a message, it's cross-generational friendships, mentoring. This is something that has changed my life. I want to tell you about it. I have a friend who is in the stage of life just beyond me. He goes by Lightning. And I met Lightning when I was 19 years old through the church I was in at, a part of the, uh, at that time. He was closer to 30. And he became a mentor to me. First, it was in a specific thing. Um, Lightning's job was as an audio engineer, so setting up microphones and all these things, and that table back there that Laura and Ashley are running for us. Uh, and so he taught me how to set up a sound system. And he brought me with him to install new sound systems in venues, and he brought me with him to a minor league baseball game to mix audio for what people hear on TV, and just you know, following him along. But eventually, he wasn't just a mentor in this one thing. He was a mentor for me in life in general. I would come over to his house and cook with him. I would run errands with him. I would, we would just talk. We would just do a home project that he was working on. Nothing fancy or special. Just we were around each other and we would talk. Since 19, since I was 19, Lightning has been there for me as a mentor through every major transition I've experienced. When I fell in love, he celebrated with me. He taught me how to be intentional and healthy in a relationship because God knows I did not know how to do that. He taught me how to, <laughs> I think in relationships in general, not just romantic, not just go with the flow, but like truly be a person with thoughts and feelings and ask for what I needed. It's like the first experiences of therapy in my life was this friendship, this mentoring. I, I don't know if there's a person who shaped me more as a, how, I, how I'm experienced by other people as a partner, as a friend, who shaped me more than Lightning. When I first had the thought not to take a traditional career path and instead start a church, he was a constant cheerleader, he was a hard question asker, and he was just a resource. Like to this day, I still use the Google spreadsheet that he built me to track our church's budget. When my wife and I had our first kid, he celebrated with me, took the time to mark that, to not just like let it happen without being like identified as like, this is huge. You're about to become a dad. Let's mark that. Let's raise a glass to that. When my brother died, it was in his backyard that I had a few other close friends gathered so I could tell some stories and try to grieve. I don't, I don't know what I would be without this mentoring without this relationship with this guy who was just in the stage of life beyond me, took an interest in me, and we just, you know, hung out and talked over the years. Education in our culture prepares you to be a unit that contributes to the economy, but it does not prepare you to be a human being. I think you need mentoring to be prepared to be a human being. 
And he's not the only mentor I've needed in life. Like, I, 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 will, I will never forget Kezia and, uh, and me. Kezia's my wife. Uh, we're newly parents of two, and we are very tired and stressed out by our jobs. And we're sitting around a dining room table uh, with neighbors of ours. Troy and Heather are their names. And they have kids who are college age, so they're older than us. And we have two young kids. And they were just so kind and encouraging to us. They, like... Troy and Heather are amazing because they don't fall into that, um, that American temptation of cynically saying things like, just wait till they get older. <laughs> you, know, you ever heard phrases like that, right? Like, I, just those cynical phrases that, I, like, I get, I get what people are saying, but it, like, doesn't make me feel better when I'm exhausted and just, a, and a, like, a parent who is pulling my hair out. And they just looked us in the eyes, and they said, you guys are doing great. You're doing great. This is the hardest part they told us, but it gets easier. And, and you're gonna be so grateful that you put in all this work. And I just cannot tell you how human that made us feel in that moment. Oh, thank you, thank you for seeing us. I've heard so many similar stories from people in Brownline about the mentors, about the cross-generational friendships, often mediated by churches that have shaped them. A friend in our church told me that when she was 13, an older woman in her church at the time uh, named Heidi became a mentor to her. Heidi was her person. You know, not a plant for her parents, right? Yeah, everybody's been there when you're a teenager, right? Now, Heidi would buy her coffee. She would in invite her over to put up Christmas decorations, come to her theater shows, and eventually as life became more complicated, Heidi was just a grown-up in her corner, right? Grown-up in your corner that's not your parent. That's important. Heidi would listen intently, never judgmentally, would cry with her, would even write her letters after she'd went off to college. My friend told me that while she was in college, Heidi's health had been declining, and she died. And Heidi's husband actually reached out to her afterward, just to communicate how important the relationship had been to Heidi. That's amazing, right? That's, that's, that's humanity in action, right? That is what helps you get up in the morning. It helps you feel like a human being and not a rat or a hamster, again, with the rodents. Or I think of my conversation recently with a friend here from Brownline at a crossroads in an adult romantic relationship over the question of having kids something so familiar to so many. And as we talked, we realized that my friend had the ability to imagine lots of different versions of an uncertain future, kids or no kids, in part because she is part of a multi-generational community, this church, that has different stories and examples of families and partnerships that she sees in action regularly and can like test drive in her mind. When you see different versions of a possible future for you because you have people who could be role models or mentors around, it rewires you where you're actually less anxious. The uncertainty of the future bred more anxiety for my friend's partner at the time because in part, he didn't have the same kind of multi-generational exposure in his relational circles. And that, that's not a small thing. Like, that's serious. Another result of our constantly accelerating culture is that there are increasingly few things in modern life that mediate multi-generational community, 
people who are older, people who are younger, and everywhere in between mixing it up and being in the same space. We're, like, we're, we're often sorted by age in our workplaces, especially young men are sorted by age in their workplaces. School, obviously, is sorted by age. It's more likely than ever for the places that we choose to live to be sorted by age, too. Like, we all know the young people neighborhoods in Chicago, right? Regular weekend social routines for adults almost always revolve exclusively around our peers in age, which is not a bad thing, right? Like, we all need peers. We all need friends that are the same age as us. I'm not down on that. But where are we going to meet our potential mentors? Where are we going to meet our potential role models, the people who we think, like, I want to be like them when I grow up? Because I still have to do that. I still have to think, who do I want to be like when I grow up? In the luckiest cases, families and parents can provide mentors and role models, but often it's not the case. Kezi and I have thought a lot about how lucky we are that she has an amazing relationship with her mom. Like all the phone calls when our kids are little and like, what do we do? The baby is doing this. I don't know what to do. What, what do I do? Like, not, like you think about that stat from earlier, right? 51% of young moms don't maybe don't necessarily have that kind of relationship, right? Because they feel lonely. They don't know who to call. That's a lot of moms. I think one of, the, one of the questions that true belonging answers for us is, what do I do when fill-in-the-blank happens? That's what we're trying to accomplish. So churches at their best, I think, have this unique opportunity to meet this need for belonging because where... How, how, how few other places in our modern life offer us multi-generational community where we can mix it up, where we can possibly meet people who might become our next role model or mentor. I've been talking about this stuff a lot lately with, um, with people in our church about like, how can, like if this is real, if this is true, I really feel like this is true. I, I really feel like this is like a, a huge reason that we have tons of stories about trying to belong and it doesn't always work. Why we, why we kind of just go through life and just feel exhausted and not like a human being all the time. I think, this is, I, I th I think that we need to address this. And I've been talking about, like, how can our church respond? We are this neighborhood church on the north side of Chicago, and we, 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 we have connections with a fair amount, like, like over 100 people that are, like, in, in some way connected with our community. Some of them are even beyond Chicago. What do we do? How do we address this? And I... I've, I've had like behind-the-scenes conversations with Haley as we're as we're talking about like what do we what do we how do we address this as pastors as leaders of this community? I've had conversations over like coffee and beer with several of you just like talking about these things of like hey this what do you think about this or what have you learned from this or what's been your experience? That's how I learned about some of these other stories of uh, of of what's happening when people actually have had mentoring relationships. So for the last thing for this morning, just the way I want to end is I want to peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about how Brownline Church is thinking about facilitating belonging and community right now. Because this feels important to me, and um, this, there will be an element of this over the next several weeks. Uh, this is going to be the, not going to be the only time I talk about this, because I want us to, to have a better picture of, like, like, all of us kind of get, like, how do we, how do, we do that? How do, how do we make this a place where people belong and people experience community, people experience that multi-generationally? And then maybe it serves as like a call to action for some of us because, the, again, like I was saying this morning of how we turned the Davis Theater into a church, the, the only way belonging in community happens is, is, is if we provide it for each other. 
That's, that's why we show up. That's why we try to do this. So um, right now, the way that uh, our church is imagining belonging and community and facilitating that is three things. And I'm going to show you just like this is, the, this is the, a page on our website. If you go to our website, right, and you click on small groups or community, this is what you'll see. There's three things that we're thinking about. Communal matches, mentoring, and small groups. Mentoring is the new one. I'll do that last. You can participate in one. You can participate in more than one. You can participate in none. That's fine. There's different options for different people. That's the whole point is we're trying to offer a diversity of ways to facilitate belonging and community. So first up is the communal matches. You may have heard me talk about this before. This is our effort since the pandemic to try to like increase the ties in our church. Once a month, you get matched with somebody else in the community, and the encouragement is get together, you know, have plan a meal, plan a get together. If you if if it's people with kids, plan a play date or something like that. And it's always someone someone different. And our matches for January and February just went out this morning, um, so that'll take us through to the end of February. And you can get on our next list if you want to by going to our website and just signing up right on that page. Uh, pastorally, communal matches are my responsibility. So if you ever have questions, you can, I'm, I'm, I'm the person to reach out to. So that's one way we're doing things. And you maybe have heard me talk about that before. Jumping over to um, small groups on this list, on, on, uh, on the, I won't say much here because we're going to save it for Haley to address in a later talk in this series. Pastorally, Haley is stepping into responsibility of managing and supporting small groups starting this month. So if you ever have questions about small groups, she's the person to reach out to. And you can stay tuned because we're going to have more to say about the small groups is the more traditional things that most people are used to if you've been around a church before of how to connect with other people. We, we have those kind of things here. And so Haley will be telling us more about like a vision for small groups uh, looking ahead uh, later. But what I want to talk about is this new one. This is what I'm casting a vision for today is mentoring. I want to tell you more about that. The vision I have is for these cross-generational friendships, much like the stories that we talked about today, particularly for younger people in our church. And so, you know, the the questions to consider is like, do you, do you want to grab hot chocolate with one of our elementary age kids, right? And just like be a grown up in their corner that's not their parent. Do you, do you want to build some relationship with one of our teens or our college students? Grabbing coffee with them, cooking with them, inviting them over to set up your Christmas decorations next year, you know, like all, all those things that we heard in these stories, supporting them in their performances or competitions. Does that feel exciting? Building relationship. It's a little bit awkward too, but it's kind of fun, right? It's kind of exhilarating awkwardness. Or are you up for inviting somebody in this community who is younger than you? It doesn't have to be a teen or a kid, but just inviting them into your routines like my friend Lightning did with me just to help them feel more human. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of starting, like the vision is a thriving mentoring network that is eventually is like a tradition in our community because a regular and well-known part of Brownline Church. Just one thing we do is, man, we, we just have a knack for connecting two different people from two different generations, and they care for one another. And younger people get mentored. So if you want, I mean, if you want to be part, I'm going to put this up on the screen one more time because you can follow the QR code, or later this week, if you want to, you can just go to our website and, uh, and click on the community or small groups tab and, 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 and sign up. This is a way that you can let us know. Or if you want to be mentored, you can let us know through the same form by just clicking that sign up button. Uh, parents of teens and kids, we encourage you to talk about these options together as a family. 
and then fill out the form or reach out to me. If you want to tell me personally, you don't have to fill out the form. You can just tell me because these are pastorally mentoring is going to be my responsibility. So I will follow up with you if you fill this out or if you are interested in this or you have questions and you want to talk more about this. And we'll be doing some matching up of folks. Unlike our communal matches, it's not going to be random. This is, this is, this is, and it's not going to be a new person every month. The idea here is to develop long-term mentoring relationships. All right. Like we talked about last week, Jesus' message is that the deepest things that we're all longing for in life are relational. He said the way, the truth, and the life, belonging, if you will, are not head knowledge that can be taught. They are not achievements that can be gained by trying to meet the demands of accelerating and getting faster and meeting all those production needs. The way, the truth, and the life, and belonging, and all of the things that we are longing for are found in relating to a person. Jesus, who uniquely and profoundly shows us what God is like, and they are found in relating to any of the other persons around you who bear the image of God as well. So let's commit to helping each other feel more human. That is my call to us this week, and I would love to pray for us. Get yourself in a comfortable space, and um, as I pray, if you, if you would like to close your eyes to help you focus, you can do that. You certainly don't have to close your eyes. Sometimes I just like to like, find a detail on the wall to focus on that can kind of shut off distractions, and I'm going to pray for us. <clears throat> Well, God, we, um, each of us, to the best of our abilities and to, uh, to the extent that we feel inspired this morning, that can be a lot or it can be a little or it can be none at all, but we open ourselves right now to the prospect of connecting with other human beings in a way that is not always done for us automatically in this culture. We open ourselves up to the prospect of that with other people in this community, with other people in, our, in any of the communities that we're connected with, any of the workplace communities, neighborhood communities, interest group communities, family communities. In any of those ways, we long to experience the true belonging that connects us with like, what wakes us up in the morning, that gets us out of the rat race. We long to experience that. And so, God, I trust now in, in this moment that you are the one that is mediating those relationships. You are the God that grabs the thread from me and grabs the thread from this other person and ties it together. When I am experiencing feeling loved or feeling seen, when I'm experiencing feeling mentored, it is you, God, that is knitting together that connection. And so in any of the ways that any of us have like gratitude to, that can like stir up in us as we're trying to be quiet, as we're trying to pray for the connections that we already have, we, we, do, we let that gratitude flow. Each of us in our own minds, we're, just, we're, we're expressing our thank you for that. We're expressing our, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad for this relationship. I'm so glad for this person. 
But then in the ways that we don't feel gratitude, we feel a longing. We feel something missing. We are looking for that kind of connection. We don't, we, we look to the left and to the right, and we don't feel it. God, speak to us, be with us. Assure us that you are, you are out there working to connect us, working to weave our lives in with others. Give us courage. Give us the, the oomph we need to go into, take the risks to find those relationships. And in any of the ways that any of us are inspired to pour into somebody younger than us, whether it's a kid, a teen, just some, an adult who's just in a stage of life that's younger than us, excite us about that prospect, God. Excite us about, like, if, if there's somebody in mind, who could it be? And then as a unit, as a, as a church, we pray that there would be a, a carryover from these sorts of questions we're asking ourselves and these sorts of prayers we're praying, that we would become a community that, that mentors one another that has relationships cross-generationally, and we experience all the benefits from that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.